0: listening to the Bloodsucking Feminists, your number one Kiwi Scottish podcast focused on the three F's, fangs, feminism, and fangirling. I'm Catherine. And I'm Keely. And you're listening to episode 26, Jesus Christ, Van Helsing, or Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Now, before we begin... Yes, we have heard the news about Stephen Moffat writing a Dracula adaptation. We definitely have opinions on them and while we can semi-relate it to the topic of this episode, we will try to leave all our opinions to the end of this episode and or Twitter as we tweet as we do this episode. We promise we're going to try and keep it to the end of this episode. (laughs) that's a big that's a big promise
1: (laughs) I would just been screwing over it completely (laughs) but it's okay we got to talk about another adaptation of Dracula in the meantime one that is I wouldn't say it's considered definitive but in the pantheon of adaptations of Dracula particularly for more modern audiences if you ask them what they think of the film Dracula this is probably the one they're going to talk about it's just the most famous it's it was also Especially, wildly successful in its time, just looking at the numbers I mean this thing was the ninth most successful film of nineteen ninety two worldwide like I'm trying to imagine a situation where you know in two thousand and seventeen a film this strange and esoteric and boob filled would be that you know commercially profitable,
0: yeah, and as you said, this is nineteen ninety two so while You and I would have been too young to actually see this film. It would have had an impact on people who would make films and books and everything that we would later go on to read and watch and consume. And then we, you know, we would become old enough to watch it and then go, what's going on?
1: I mean, this does predate, uh, I mean, it kind of starts a little, a mini gothic horror revival after this, you do get the, the Kenneth Branagh Frankenstein, which is nowhere near as successful. You get the first adaptation of Anne Rice's work in 1994. Like, there's clearly a little more of a hunger for it then than there is now. I mean, now all of our, or unfortunately, all of our cinematic obsessions are revolved around, can we make this into a 19-film expanded universe?
0: It's a trilogy, and we'll make four movies. <laughs> I don't even think it's their fault. I'm just—I
1: went to see The Mummy a couple weeks ago. I'm just like, God, you're going to try and turn these movies into like the Avengers, but with monsters. And then you want to add The Hunchback of Notre Dame and uh, Phantom of the Opera later, like pretending they're monsters. They're just guys with disfigurements.
0: Do we really want to get into that? <laughs> Okay, okay. I think we've done enough episodes that we wander off into complaining about no, the we universal No, we monster haven't. Monster movies, but we can wander later. Then go start your own podcast oh. complaining about them <laughs> with slapjack and Hooker. fighting
1: words, Haynes. <laughs> we, I will, I will. We will leave the off-topic wandering until so later. Funny. Let's at least establish what this episode is about. For those who aren't familiar with the term Bram Stoker's Dracula.
0: So, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the movie based on the book by Bram Stoker, not entitled Bram Stoker's Dracula, is a movie with boobs in it. Also, Gary Oldman as Dracula, and some more boobs. Anything else I've forgotten? Keanu Reeves trying to act? Oh, bless. Like, it's not his fault. At least. He just wandered onto set one day and they were like, well, he fits the costume and I don't want to have to send him away. And he's nice enough to look at, I suppose, even if we do make his grey hair terrible.
1: Oh, that's like a talcum powder job, isn't it? I know, right?
0: <laughs> that's what I was thinking. just like, let just get some talcum powder and just go, Foof.
1: We should say that this... Uh... Film comes at a period in Francis Ford Coppola's career where he desperately needed a hit. After in the eighties, where it was kind of a mixed bag for him, he made a film called One from the Heart, which was such a catastrophic flop that it basically bankrupted his studio. He he built an entire like set town for this this film to take place in, and then no one went to see the movie. Um, Oh no! And then he made The Cotton Club, which was also a massive flop. I mean, this was a period where he was just like not entirely in control of how you know, of budgeting so this also comes after the third Godfather movie which is the not very good one and Winona was actually originally supposed to be in that movie and she dropped out I believe due to exhaustion so she was replaced by Sofia Coppola the director's daughter who the poor poor Sofia got completely torn apart for this role that she just wasn't qualified for Um, She took her revenge out now. You know, she's an Oscar and Cannes award-winning director. Um, But as a peace offering, Winona Ryder brought the script for Dracula to Francis Ford Coppola and said,
0: you know, I'd love to work with you again. Here, have you seen this? This looks really cool. I would just like to point out that at this point in time, this was Bram Stoker's Dracula, the script, written by the man who wrote Hook. Well, I think that...
1: With this script, it was probably intended to be a little more uh, sort of conventional in its its structuring and storytelling. And then Francis Ford Coppola was just like, you know what, this needs this needs to just be batshit. And I, I don't just dis- I don't disagree. I think. For all of the narrative changes it makes, I mean it does the thing that I hate Dracula stories doing with the uh, with Mina is a reincarnated love, love, Dracula, and this makes it much more interesting because he's in love. No, he's not. But like I liked the the general tone that they strike with this piece, which is of sort of feverish melodrama. Although I I would argue that, that there's at least three different movies going on according to this cast and they can't all decide what what film they're actually in. Winona Ryder is in... She thinks that she's in Little Women with Vampires. And I think Gary Oldman knows exactly what kind of movie he's in, as does Anthony Hopkins. And then Keanu is, is just... The crap, happy to be there. You know, it's <laughs> nice to be involved. And Everyone here is so nice. I brought cupcake. <laughs> and Sadie Frost thinks that she's in porn.
0: <laughs> Which is probably the closest one to actually getting it right, I think.
1: Oh yeah, this, I think this might be the first Dracula, at least that we've covered on this show, that has really amped up the eroticism to Eleven. It is just... I mean, and, and the book is, is not short of eroticism, but I think it's often considered the primary force of the novel, and it's not. I mean, there's much more going on before they even get to sex in the book, whereas here it's all about sex.
0: And just in case you didn't figure it out If they can work boobs Into the scene There will be full frontal boobage And sometimes Even when the scene doesn't call for it Like your first date with your true love There'll be naked boobies in the background Dracula You so good at dating I
1: wonder if this film Would have gotten an R rating If it had come out when the, when Showgirls came out which was the film that kind of crushed the NC-17 rating and then there's you can see a sort of a, a more increasing level of strictness in the um, ratings of films by the MPAA in America because I mean it's not necessarily that this film is wildly graphic it's mostly just nudity I wouldn't say that it's graphic there's just a lot of tits I mean it's not like, I want to see the handmaiden the handmaiden is graphic <laughs> this isn't anywhere near yeah, that this is just, just
0: boobs they're just like is there an opportunity for us to pull down a woman's shirt yes do it it's like I swear an episode of Who's Line where they're doing the director thing and then Colin Mockery just shows up and goes okay now just do everything boobily <laughs> um, the specificity of that reference was wonderful I'm sorry, there's always time for a Colin Mockery reference. That's true.
1: But I also think that that's part of the. There's just something about the film in the way that it does amp up the, the the hallucinogenic element of that eroticism. Because every time the boobs come out, it is in a sort of very, like, off kilter manner. I mean, it does. This film is not operating of our world. You know, you get a lot of Dracula adaptations or a lot of vampire stories where it is just our world with vampires. This world is way too weird to be our world. I mean, even just like the costuming is, you could argue it's period appropriate, but it's also just probably period appropriate in opera.
0: Yeah, like Lucia, a lot of the time Lucy would come out wearing something like, okay, when the hell did you get that, Lucy? Oh, Why? her wedding dress. I'm like, that is the ugliest piece of shit I've ever seen. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where to look. Where do I look? (laughs) Am I supposed to look at this neck thing? Where is her body? Is she even under there? What the hell? Who did the costumes for this anyway? Eiko
1: Ishioka, who uh, was best known for being costume designer on opera, and she did all the costumes for um, The Cell with Jennifer Lopez, if you've ever seen that. Or um, She mostly works in, in opera and stage work and stuff, but her work is very strange, which is amazing. It's such gorgeous work. I mean, even the detailing in, in the costumes in this film alone. And I believe she did win an Oscar for it. Um, I think... Well, she, like, put it this way. She's, she's also very well known for designing costumes for Bjork and Grace Jones.
0: Okay. Now that you've mentioned that stuff makes sense, I mean, it's still doesn't make sense. But I don't know if it's necessarily supposed- but it also does make sense. <laughs> I mean that's the thing is um,
1: if you look at you know some the, of the, the behind the scenes stuff going on in this film Coppola was very invested in the costumes of this film. He found that was, that was just another way to show ca- showcase what the actors were doing. And it's like, I mean, this this is really as storytelling as well. Look at stuff like the first major costume we see is Dracula or Vlad's um, armor, which is deliberately designed to look like muscles. I, I think she's yeah. probably best known for Dracula. I mean, just stuff like that thing that they put Lucy in, you know, which is, I think they said it's designed to look like a lizard.
0: Which makes a lot of sense. Oh, one of the one of those lizards. She does kind of look like something that that um, Steve Hill would be chasing after. <laughs> or something like um,
1: one of the cost the best costumes I think in the film is the, the final outfit that you see Dracula wearing when he dies, and it's designed to look like a painting by Klimt. It's so gorgeous. But I think that, I mean, you could watch this film with the volume off, and you would probably get a really interesting storytelling experience just for the visuals and the costumes. Which I feel like was probably Coppola's focus. He wasn't that in. I mean, as much as he claims this is for a showcase for the actors, I mean. It's not that the actors are bad. I mean, it, it's a mixed bag per Keanu. But, like, I don't know if he necessarily gives them direction to remind them what kind of movie this is. Except for Gary Oldman, who was possibly drunk for a lot of this, actually admits to being drunk for a couple scenes. <laughs> the scene where he has to lick the blood from the razor of okay. Keanu Reeves when he's shaving, uh, he said he was drunk when he did that.
0: Yeah. Um, maybe he wandered onto the set. <laughs> <laughs> just in costume. <laughs> hey, I found this guy in the wardrobe. <laughs> he's in the costume. What do we do? Oh, just bring him in. Smile. I think he's kind of drunk. Uh, what were we, where were we on before? We were talking about. Boobs, I think we've mostly we. just been
1: talking about boobs, to be honest.
0: Well, to be fair, it's like a thing.
1: I mean, that's the thing. This 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 movie is all about the eroticism, and I would argue it's more about the eroticism than any element of the story. And for all the things that we've talked about, Dracula being a stand-in for you know um, xenophobia, misogyny, um, disease, plague, all of those things. Here, it's it's all about fucking. Or not even fucky, he doesn't seem that interested in sex. Just the eroticism that comes with the vampiric nature. Although, if we... From the flashback yeah. we see of Vlad Dracula and his wife Elizabeth, they, they share a kiss that suggests that those two go at it like woodchucks. chucks. Maybe that's why he turns to Satan when she dies.
0: <laughs> but who will I get laid? I have to.
1: What do you think of the entire backstory that they give as to why Dracula became a vampire and them tying it into this true love thing? Because honestly, I mean, we've seen stories like this. Oh, I know it's just. Shit. I mean, one of the reasons I don't like the Mina or a reincarnation of Mina as Dracula's love interest is one. I find it lazy storytelling. I think it's just a really kind of cheap and unearned way to try and bring sympathy to the character. But two, it ends up making the, causing this huge shift for the rest of the story that they seldom deal with because they think, well, if we make him sympathetic because romance, then that will plug a lot of gaps in our story, and it just creates more.
0: Plus, it destroys. It seems it always ends up destroying the relationship between her and Haka without any thought of of what the impact is.
1: And it also ends up destroying the
0: relationship between her and Lucy and it just ends up so awkward like you know he, he's feeling, he's already seen a picture of Mina in Jonathan's case or whatever so he knows she's out there he comes in and what does he do? He rapes her best friend while she's there
1: and then we get Van Helsing doing the well she's a will I actually have the line here uh, she's a bitch of the devil, a willing recruit, the devil's concubine. It was like, I don't think she really had much control over that, you
0: creep. Okay, title drop. Jesus Christ! It's just, that, that's that my
1: problem like- with it, is that I think that the the, the hoop-jumping you have to do in order to retain the inherent malice of Dracula, while also trying to make him sympathetic and romantic, doesn't work. Like, I think the only case where I felt it works, or at least comes close to working... Is the 1979 Dracula with Frank Langella, which is based more on the stage play
0: and the, and the, cape. And the cape
1: and the amazing and the cape. But, like, that is much more focused on having him be that kind of tragic figure who needs the romance, but it still relies on a woman straight up dying.
0: Plus, we see it also the way it sort of devastates Mina's character in this movie. Like, one minute she's like, Oh, I love you. Wait, you're the one who killed Lucy! how dare you i love you
1: yeah there's also the scene where he's like i'm gonna rape you and he's like no i'm gonna run away and he's like oh but you've got a puppy seriously what the hell yeah i mean for a film that is relatively tonally consistent because they have made this change like to, to, to put this romance in and really center the romance when they have to apply it to the already existing Dracula story it just it sends into a kind of a tonal whiplash especially after you've just seen stuff like I mean the poor fate of me of Lucy in this story even by the standards of how Lucy is treated in the book it's pretty savage because another way that they can only—the only way that you can really understand Lucy in the context of a very <clears throat> erotically charged version of the story—is to basically just have her be a complete cock tease,
0: and have the sort of because I mean, that's not in the book. Like, her entire her entire dialogue is just not even double entendre. She's just like—I mean, she's like she's—I mean, Mae
1: West would tell her to calm it down. I mean, she's not even necessarily... Is that a Boeing action? I mean, she's not even necessarily Mae West. She's like Alaska from RuPaul's Drag Race's version of Mae West, where she just says, why wouldn't you come up and fuck me in the ass sometime? She She's borderline that.
0: Yeah, whoever, when, it, when they were writing Lucy in this, they saw the line where she sort of says she would like to marry all three of them and goes, oh gosh, this is a greedy slut and not, this is a sweet girl who doesn't want to break any hearts and so the solution is everyone will love everyone else
1: I mean, they've also dressed her up as a lizard, so it's really hard to even see her I mean, by the time we see her as a vampire she's barely, She's not even she doesn't even really look human she has incredibly pale skin she just... she's wearing this ridiculous outfit She's kind of... She doesn't even so much talk as she hisses. She's about to eat a baby. And... She's allergic to shirts. So say we all. Uh, But it's... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing as well. I, I think Sadie Frost is also just miscast. She's not necessarily a bad actress, but... There's this weird kind of... I don't know if this was the direction she was given, but she has to sort of tread this really fine line between between being wildly infantilized and being massively... Like, for lack of a better term, like, slutty, I think, was probably the direction she was given. Like, she has to be really childlike but really promiscuous at the same time. And it's very odd.
0: So, like a... Uh, like a, a young... Te- like a teenage girl who's so determined to show that she's an adult that all she does is talk about what she thinks is adult. There is are. a lot of that, yeah, because um, she's only
1: nineteen in the book. But even stuff like I mean, really, the first time we see Lucy in this story, well, well, we see Mina writing the letter about, or her, she's writing her diary about. Jonathan's gone away to Transylvania. I miss him, I hope we get married soon. She just happens to have a copy of Arabian Nights illustrated next to her table, which is essentially, this version seems to be the Kama Sutra version. And then, like, it just seems to be all that Lucy thinks about. Which, it's not entirely inaccurate for a 19-year-old girl to be thinking
0: about sex a lot. But I don't think that's No, a Lucy. but there's also... Honestly, I'm surprised Lucy knows what, know what sex was.
1: And I think the film tries to offset the kind of weird dynamic this creates with Mina by having Mina narrate that she's sometimes very jealous of Lucy because she's very open and free and just lives as she wants to. So I can understand, especially once she does get her hands on Dracula and all of a sudden, like the necklines get lower and she's just instantly ready to get at it.
0: Yeah, and then Lucy just falls into that same trap of, you know, how do we make our true heroine look good? We make her friend a slutty bitch. Because men. Uh, What's the first sequence we see with Lucy after the whole Arabian- Oh, well, she throws a party. Her going up to Quincy. Yeah, she throws a party, Quincy shows up and she's like, oh, it's so big, and then pulls out the famous bowie knife. I'm just like, Jesus Christ! But that entire scene is also framed. But that entire scene is also framed as
1: you know, Lucy is basically said to Mina. Men are really easy. I'm going to show you, and and she's not wrong. Like these men are really really easy. But it's it sort of removes a lot of the naivety from the frame because she like once again she's 19 years old, and the book kind of implies that she's been heavily cloistered and you know sort of kept away for the purpose that she's going to get married one day as many women were in high society and Mina's not part of high society she's a school teacher who's getting married to a solicitor
0: that's the thing about Lucy her naivety her sweetness her innocence were all part of the charm that the men were attracted to you know they, they saw someone who was nice and sweet and everything about her was honest naive yes but true whereas this is she just wanders in and goes okay I'm going to grab all of your balls and you won't know it And that also the, the disconnect that you get between
1: I mean if you want to argue like you could you know, Lucy is very much in control of her having this like incredibly flirtatious promiscuous relationship with these three guys like that's her just like I mean she clearly enjoys that to an extent because it's, it's it's entertaining for her to just wrap these men around her little finger you know, but then you have to get that contrast with what happens to her later when she gets raped by Wolfman. And the I don't think the film can entirely decide whether that's consensual or not because it's clear that she's entranced to some degree, but the film is also just really determined to remind you that oh she's you know, she's totally into this. she's now willingly the devil's whore you guys and it's like Jesus Christ, once again Jesus Christ Van Helsing
0: We did pick the right yes. title for this at the end, didn't we? <laughs> Jesus Christ, screenwriters! <laughs> Jesus Christ, Coppola! Jesus Christ, yeah. men! I mean, while we're on the
1: subject of Lucy, I think we really should just—I think we should just stick to her narrative for now. I mean, she gets bitten the first time we see her, and it's not just that; she's basically being—I mean, to use a Victorian term, she's being ravished in the middle of a like the Courtyard of this you know, beautiful house that she lives in, and she's wearing this super see red nighty, which is more like a like a weird kind of cocktail dress. And this is when Dr- Dracula is in the form of I mean, it's it's kind of like wolf, wolf, monkey, monkey, wolf. Batman. And then he's like, he basically he bites her. He's clearly attacking her, bringing him to her to his side, but he then sees that Mina is watching, and then he goes because clearly he's like, "Oh no, don't look at me! I must have upset you. Yeah, you fucking did." And then Lucy wakes up, and clearly she's traumatized. Like she doesn't know what's happened, really. I mean, she kind of does, but it's she's not fully mm. cognizant of what has happened and how much she was in control of it. By the sense of it, she wasn't much at all.
0: And of course, then there's the whole dealing with the it was a monkey-wolf-Batman. Yeah. Because it couldn't so have was, just been... I didn't even want to know
1: where her brain is touching yeah. it. I mean, the disconnect that creates as well between... Because we never see Lucy and Dracula together when he's human. He always comes at her in a more animalistic form which he doesn't really do with
0: Mina and also what the hell Mina you've seen this monster attack Lucy and you don't think to go "Uh, guys guys so it wasn't human guys you're a I mean, character. once again, I'm
1: stunned that this film got an R rating and that this film was as successful
0: as it was. It can't do any worse than Moffat's Dracula will be. I know, we said the end of the episode, I had to... Oh! oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, oh god, oh god, Lucy's just gonna be like his version of bloody Irene Adler, and then Dracula's gonna be this new old douchebag who everyone loves, and oh god, he's gonna be playing uh, a fucking Battle... cummerbatch, isn't he? It? Battlefield...
0: Counter-Strike was the, the name I saw somebody call him <laughs> Battlefield Counter-Strike yeah
1: I, I enjoy Ben's come in my pants
0: oh no I don't want to think about that you know it's
1: it's, child- it's childish to make fun of someone's name
0: and yet I'm not going to stop just because his name is Cucumber Patch doesn't mean we can laugh about it god he's going to be Dracula isn't he Ugh. he's going to be a high functioning sociopath makes sense
1: okay so I do think that this is an interesting line to include um, when Sadie Frost and Gary Oldman were getting ready to shoot the what is described as the ravishment scene nope. talk about right euthanizing the situation yeah um, Francis Ford Coppola asked Gary Oldman to sort of talk her through the scene obviously because she was nervous so he just started whispering pure filth into her ears Uh to get her in the mood and apparently Sadie Frost said it was very helpful but she will never repeat what he said so yeah. same thing happened with um, I think happened with Winona Ryder too so it was Jesus very Christ, unrepeatable Gary Oldman <laughs> no this seems like very in line with Gary Oldman like yeah. if you're turning up drunk if you're, if you're drunk on set for like razor licking scenes you know what you're doing
0: still Jesus Christ Gary Oldman he is very good in this. I mean, he's clearly
1: having the time of his life. Like he's doing the the dark deep voice. He's wearing these amazing outfits. He's drunk. He's he's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is like sort of, it's certainly the most visually striking version of Dracula because we get to see the the de aging process. We get to see him probably one of the more famous versions. Of Dracula where he is partly Nosferatu inspired he's got the the nails he's got the wrinkled face he has this really cool haircut
0: The the boob haircut
1: yeah the one that's mocked on the the Simpsons parody of it
0: yeah see so you can see where this movie has influenced so much whether it's stuff that was very obviously unique to the this adaptation or aspects of the book because there's a lot of lines that are direct from the book, if you know them, that, or references to old films that are in this movie, that then go on to later films. Like, I mean, when we did Dracula 2000, we laughed at the "I don't drink coffee" line, but oh god, it's so yeah, bad. <laughs> yeah. But in this movie, there's "I don't drink wine," which, of course, as you see, yeah. That's in the Todd Browning version. Yeah. But, seriously, most people are just going to think of Gary Oldman and or our favourite Scottish Dracula we'd like to have a beer with. (laughs) Well, we would. That's true.
1: I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting about this version of, of Dracula is that kind of that contrast between the aristocrat and the monster which has made probably its most literal here cuz like he does change forms a number of times we see the like the weird monkey wolf batman face that he does when he's attacking lucy we see after he turns mina he turns into just like a giant human bat which is really freaky and then he turns into a whole stream of rats and runs away and that's like in the book he does change forms a number of times he can change forms he can also turn into smoke which we see as well
0: and van helsing mentions as well just explicitly like there's a lot of oh yeah
1: Van, van helsing knows all his shit
0: and yet he is so unhelpful. <laughs> He's having too much fun to be helpful. Was he drunk too?
1: I don't know. It's it's, it's Anthony Hopkins. That's a, it could be anything, really.
0: So since we're talking about... Vaguely talking about stuff taken from the book. I mean, obviously the most notable bits would be... Uh, the, you know, welcome, freely welcome, enter freely, blah, blah, blah. And the children of the night sequences. But there's also my first real major Jesus Christ Van Helsing moment where he's asking for post-mortem knives and says, are we going to do an autopsy? No, I just want to put a stick in her heart and cut off her head. Which of course the correct response is, Jesus Christ Van Helsing. Because he's just so blasé about it. But that is actually in the book. I'm not sure if The book Van Helsing was quite so blasé about it, but whoever wrote some of these scenes, whether it was uh, Hart, uh, yeah, James Hart or uh, script ideas or whatever, somebody has read the book. Now, how much was kept and what was thrown in various stages? Who knows? But there was definitely someone who was referring quite closely to the book. But the problem with that is the book isn't a short book. And being so many diary entries, news articles, things like that, there's so much that automatically gets cut out in an adaptation. But in an adaptation of something like this, where scenes are and events are recounted very quickly, even more gets cut out. Or when they try to adapt it, that's very, very short. And at two hours, two and a half hours? Oh, just over two hours, sorry. This is a long movie, and yet it touches on so little. Well, that's another
1: problem with the story deciding to center on a romance that's not actually in the book. Is it really so much for us to ask to get an adaptation that's just a book, you guys? That's not
0: by Stephen Moffat? Fuck you, Moffat.
1: Oh, God. We're never going to get over this, are we? We're never getting over this.
0: He is our nemesis. I mean, this story um, does try
1: to historically contextualize Dracula in a way that many adaptations do not do. But once again, it's so centered on the romance, and then we get this possible ascendant of Van Helsing, and maybe that's why they hate each other. Because basically Dracula is, you know, goes to battle with the Turks, which we know about from our Dracula Untold episode. And his wife, Elisabetta, has been told you know, very maliciously by the Turks. Oh, your husband died. So she throws herself out of the castle. And then Dracula, you know, desecrates the chapel that they're in. He pledges himself to... Satan renounces God because as um, a woman who's committed suicide, she will not be allowed into heaven, according to the priest, who may or may not be, like, Van Helsing's, like, great-great-great-granddad or something.
0: Oh, good, you noticed that too. I'm just like... And another thing that sort of is in there but has no bearing on anything else because it's like the whole subtle subtle hints in Van Helsing, the Hugh Jackman movie that Van Helsing is Gabriel, isn't the Archangel Gabriel.
1: Man, so could
0: you we imagine if we've got a at... series? <laughs> hey, that would mean he'd have to be shirtless so there would be wings, so. Yeah, True.
1: But the thing is, the story immediately establishes itself as a revenge story in that aspect, a, a romance revenge story. Because it's not just about, you know, wanting to find his true love again, it's about wanting to avenge her death with the powers of darkness. Um, and that's how we get, like, the cross... Like, I like how he does stab the, the stone cross in the chapel and it immediately starts bleeding and he seems quite cool with that and just starts drinking it and It's he's like, yep, this is supposed to
0: happen. yeah it's like okay my revenge is time to take place and his revenge involves raping his true love's best friend like
1: but how well formed was this plan because you know here's the thing as well and i think this is kind of a plot hole so we cut then Mm. to 1897 jonathan harker is going to transylvania to sort out the real estate deals because as i've always said my favorite thing about dracula Prince of Darkness but he knows a good property deal when he sees it
0: and he does it legitimately too
1: yeah like he invests he knows that all you know the money is in the london property scene and he wants in on that and you um, know,
0: he's immortal so he can wait it out for things to get value
1: yeah uh, and he buys in really good locations too like he's smart but he's already decided to do that he's that's already in place when he realizes that the you know the reincarnation of Mina is in London as well. Like he doesn't know that that's gonna happen. He's asking me, you know, do you believe in fate or destiny? Uh, but clearly that wasn't something he was aware of when he was making his deal. He was just planning to come to London anyway.
0: And that just it's just like, really? That that that's that's the thing? I mean, at least in like Nosferatu he just saw uh, Ellen and was like, hey she's hot. Nice. Whereas it just does it work out that for some reason he wanted to buy up some London property and go live there, and then it turns out his true love is reincarnated there?
1: I don't think that's ever really resolved.
0: that's too much thinking, but um, even if you were to remove the uh the the love plot and the weird issues it is, everything else just comes really thin, like. A lot of the, like, the the book Dracula, there's so many smaller stories and segments that make up something much larger. This is much like an adaptation to really include it. You'd almost lead, like, a whole season of a series, like uh, maybe American Horror Story or something like that. Maybe not American Horror Story, but a series of about that length uh, with the larger overarching sequences, but, you know, Day in the Limelight type episodes... Or little sub-arcs between them, which is basically how the book goes. Like, this, so much with the Lucy thing, with the build-up, and her failing, and the aftermath. It's a whole story of its own. Jonathan in uh, Transylvania is a story of its own. The Demeter is a story of its own. Like You could make a whole horror movie just of the Demeter. I've said it before and I still think it should be done because that would be a freaking amazing horror movie. Just the isolation and the weather and the, the really unhappy, horrific ending of everyone dead and the ship running aground. The mystery of it. It would make a great movie but it could be also a self contained story. There's the What's going on in in the, in the hospital? There's so many sub-stories that you could almost make independent stories of. You can almost cut them off. Together they make something much larger, the impact of Dracula on this area, on this group of people, and how they intersect. But the idea of Lucy failing and be, having been attacked by something could be entirely separate from it. And... Two hours is not enough for that. Especially when you do take out time to add a really shitty romance. Because what happened in this movie? You've got these three amigos who are off having amazing off-screen adventures, quite literally. Didn't the actors go um, hot air ballooning and stuff?
1: Oh, yeah, like Richard E. Grant, Carrie Elways, and Billy Campbell, who play uh, Sierra Darfur and Quincy, uh, were basically told by Francis Ford Coppola, go off and have some fun together. So they went horseback riding, they went hot air ballooning, they basically had like a bro holiday.
0: And th- their characters are just so tiny and thin in this movie, just like so many others. But you can be you just know, this guy's a doctor, his job is to talk to this crazy guy. And to call Van Helsing There's this guy, I think I know him from some movie He's rich And there's an American, you can tell because he's got a big hat Wears animal prints And has guns His job is to bring the guns And even then he had more character developed in the book
1: (laughs) But this thing is, like, wouldn't it be really good If we got a mini-series that kind of delved into All of the interesting side stories And complexities of this book Wouldn't it be nice if we got one of those by someone who knew what they were doing? This is kind of the problem. I mean, I don't want to get back all into the Moffat situation, but my problem with him doing the story and my problem with, frankly, a lot of people who do Dracula is that they think that they're more interesting than the book. They've got it in their head that the book is really dry and boring and oh, well, it's got to be adapted and freshened up and, you know, made jazzy for the, 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 the modern audience. And, you know, there are many ways that you can put the focus on different areas of Dracula. I mean if you really want to emphasize the the xenophobia themes, you can do that. If you really want to emphasize the stories of plague, you can do that. All of these things that you can do that are in text. But so many people think that they're more interesting than the text, which is how you end up getting stuff like the reincarnation love story or you know some of the more like squiddly modern day adaptations and things like that. The story has lasted this long for a reason.
0: Yeah. Even if you were to write something different, there's so much that gets so neglected. Like, as you said, we see so many people try and sex up Lucy when she's really not. Or, you know, make her a tease, who's stringing along these three men. When, really, those three men are really good men who are honourable and kind to each other as well as Lucy. You know, they—they're like, look, we all like Lucy. Only one of us can marry her, unless you know Lucy managed to change society and all that. Who knows? Uh, but there was no, there was no cruel crudeness, no comp- no meanness in the competition. And when the time came, all of them came to support each other. In, I think in a lot of modern stories, they'd just be too busy, you know, posturing to each other and. Uh, having dick-measuring contests rather than hot-air balloon adventures.
1: <laughs> that would have been a fun way to get back to Transylvania, instead of taking the train. But they want to skip over like the really abrasive stuff, too. I mean, so much of Dracula is about trauma, not just for Mina, but for Jonathan. And we get hints of it here, you know, when Jonathan comes back with his talcum powder white hair. And his I mean, like, Keanu Reeves was cast because he was like the matinee idol of the time. But every time he does that accent, oh <laughs> I was tweeting while watching this movie and a couple of friends of mine who are film critics just started tweeting at me in the Keanu Reeves like dialect So but it, so that makes those scenes really much harder to watch, which isn't really his fault. I mean he was all wrong for the role and he knows it. But one of the things that the book really emphasizes is that jonathan is supremely fucked up after what's happened to him and then so is mina because dracula forces himself on mina like she doesn't agree or consent to being turned at all he and that's one of the things that gets me as well about you know really softening the story to make it into this romance one we really don't see enough of these two and their relationship to buy the romance. But two, when she and what two, when she gets turned, it's really weirdly emotionally disjointed because it's like, "You killed my friend. Please take me away from all this death that you keep causing." But I love you. And then free. And then free. The issue as well is that you don't get the story of Mina's trauma. So when she has been bitten, there, you know, she is really. Dealing with it in a very tough manner, so there is a moment in the book where she's burned by the communion wafer. That is no, in the, in the film that's posited as after she tries to seduce and kill Van Helsing because she loves Dracula so much and she's a vampire and her top is really low now. But what he does is he basically presses his communion wafer into her forehead and it burns and that kind of keeps her away from him. But in the book, he does that to bless her and he doesn't know it's going to burn her. And that's when they kind of realise how far gone she is.
0: Plus, there's the whole, she is. All, he is also immediately seduced by Mina, this wonderful, wonderful woman. And I'm like, dude, this is the guy who managed to uh, reject all the brides. And the, one of the brides is Monica Bellucci. Come on. Speaking of Monica Bellucci... Uh, and in the sequence that is extremely famous, including to the point of being in the uh, Michael Bay directed I'd Do Anything For Love video. The bit where, if you've seen the literal video, is that my mattress is made of slur beginning with the letter G, sluts, Craftmatic uh, charge me extra for that. The sequence, of course, where, he, where Jonathan Harker is Uh, physically and sexually and mentally assaulted by by the by the sisters like like with so many other vampire attacks it's extremely sexual partially because it's naked ladies including Monica Bellucci and they're in a bed and they're coming up between his legs and it's really unsubtle but he's also really not consenting to that and later on, when Jonathan finally returns to London and there's Van Helsing, and he re- he refers to it as Jonathan's infidelity with the vampire woman. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Van Helsing.
1: <laughs> but that's also not how it happens in the book. In, in the film, he hears this voice kind of enticing him to lie on the bed and he follows it. Which is obviously enough for that Nelson to think it's an infidelity. In the book, he's I think he falls asleep on the couch or the bed or something, and he wakes up and they're just standing over him. Yeah. And they're not and they're also not semi naked. Tits are very much in.
0: Fags are out, tits are in. Okay, so I have a question.
1: Uh oh. No, I like I always just kinda of wondered about this. So we've already seen earlier in the film during the really homoerotic moment when um, Dracula is kind of helping Jonathan to shave and then he backs away because he sees the cross that the the kindly Romanian peasant has given him. But later on we see him lying on the bed as the brides are coming at him and they see the cross. One of them hisses and then the cross just melts. How have they got the power to do that and Dracula of all people doesn't?
0: Boobs. The power of boobs. Duh.
1: So you're saying that being a vampire makes your boobs magic?
0: The power of boobs compel you! <laughs> <laughs> well maybe it's not a generic thing. Maybe it's a Monica Bellucci thing, making everything melt. I could see that, yeah.
1: That wasn't even that wasn't even in the script, she just did that.
0: <laughs> just showed up it's like, uh, didn't your costume have a front? Um, but once again, as we see with this this sequence and then the the later ignorant ignoring the fact that Lucy was raped and then the, vi- the the sexual assault and violation repeated of Mina, we get into that same, ugh, headspace and story space that so many Dracula and other vampire stories have with the really ignoring the whole biting as a violation and especially when they do it in a hypersexualized manner where there is nudity and Basically, they're ignoring the fact they've written rape scenes, and then you have Jesus Christ Van Helsing referring to it as things like infidelity.
1: I mean, that's not specific to this film, but it is kind of a prevailing it's not problem. cheating
0: if you were raped.
1: But it's also this—I pre- mean, that's a prevailing problem throughout the genre, I think, and also just like culture in general.
0: And then, of course, you add in the extra problem that this was a sexual assault of a male, by women.
1: Which her society seldom acknowledges. Like, it doesn't see as a thing, really. You know, there's a lot of the rhetoric of, well, wouldn't you be glad if Monica Bellucci crawled all over you? And it's like, that's not really the point. But because the story doesn't really focus on Jonathan's trauma afterwards... Because it really doesn't see Jonathan as an important part of the story once Mina and Dracula have declared their love. Which is really unfair to Jonathan, I think. And so many stories yeah. do this.
0: I mean, I I don't want to what about the male characters, but really, the male characters really are <laughs> <is powerful> too.
1: <laughs> blood talking feminist, but what about the men? Hashtag I mean that's the thing as well. I I think that the story is more interesting and more abrasive and more, and uh, you know complex if you have to deal with what is in text, which is the trauma that these people go through. I mean, as a married couple, the the poor you know harkers have to deal with a lot of shit.
0: I mean, okay, so here's the thing about this movie. By making it. Making Dracula himself your tragic hero and centre of the story, you've lost what the story was actually about, which is about the humans and their human reactions to this outside monstrous force. Like, the whole Lucy saga is about how all these people are dealing with the loss of Lucy, the impending loss of Lucy, the desperation to save someone you love. And then the dealing with the grief and these men coming to support each other honestly I wish there were more stories which were about men being good to each other and supporting each other through times of grief
1: yeah best way is I do really enjoy this film but it, it takes the easy way so often and you're kind of dazzled away from that a lot of the time just because the film looks so good and it sounds so good I mean the music is gorgeous but it's you know It's not entirely style over substance. I think we've done other Dracula films that are more style over substance, but it does lean very into that.
0: Yeah, and, and even in a much less deft hand, it would definitely have just gone into a classic style over substance. There's enough skill in here to just keep it from being really obvious, which in sort of a way makes it a bit more unpleasant and almost insidious that you know you think oh yeah this is a good movie and then you think about it you're like actually no
1: honestly if it had been like if they'd stripped away about 80 percent of the dialogue and made this thing more like an operatic tone poem i think i would be more willing to give them leeway with stuff like this because there's an easy way to just turn this into a, a visual piece of st- a storytelling you know you could probably easily do it, and Keanu would have benefited. But it's just, you know, obviously, it's <laughs> it's Francis Ford Coppola. It's 1992. Um, it's you know still a mainstream film. I mean, this was, you know, um, as we've said, it's a major hit. With a, it was with a major distributor. It was from Columbia. Obviously, there were certain expectations, and this is when you know people were still making you know, hotter movies. Although I would say this is more a horror romance. But even the way that it ends, yeah. you know, it ends with like the the redemption of Dracula, um, which is still like kind of hilarious at the same time because obviously, in order for him to be you know given peace, she still has to you know do the Van Helsing and you know stick a knife through his heart and cut off his head. Do you know why she cuts off his head in this? Because why? Francis, because Francis Ford Coppola held a screening for the film for George Lucas. And George Lucas said You know if you want to stick to the vampire mythology You should have Mina cut off his head So three weeks before the film's was released They went and shot that scene Huh Like George Lucas made a suggestion And it improved a movie you guys
0: <laughs> Well let's think George Lucas When he's restrained and working as part of a team Can come up with some pretty good shit
1: True I mean I don't want to shit on George Lucas A man's you know had enough of that, but I I, I did enjoy that that was his contribution, you know? Like, what do you think, George? It's like, hmm, decapitation.
0: Yeah. Plus, that's a really actual logical point. You know, it adds something really dramatic. It's totally badass. I can't see of any reason why not to do that. Plus, that means every, plus it just ties in that every single vampire gets their head chopped off as well. Because we see Van Helsing cut off the brides. We see, well, we saw what happened with Lucy. So it just sort of, it's a, it's a nice tie in and, and just rounds it off. And it sticks to with what's been already established as the method of doing too.
1: There are interesting elements I think we should talk about. I mean, we've always said that you can tell a lot about an era from its depiction of Renfield. Okay, I will say, Tom Waits is awesome casting. I did spend a lot of time thinking it was Greg Proops. First time I really kind of saw this film properly for myself.
0: I admit I didn't think that but now that you see it I'm like, oh man, yes I see it and (laughs) B, I want it. So so
1: the version of Renfield they have here is very in keeping with the particular tone and style that they are striking. You know? I mean, the asylum that uh, Seward runs well he has hopped up on morphine because it's one of those stories guys um is basically like an asylum out of like a video game made on uh, LSD it is I mean the the asylum here is I mean, I don't know about historical accuracy, but like, if they are with, with the boxes on their head and things, I will need to look that up. I mean, I'm going to Google it. But, um, I mean, that's the, the particular version. No, but even just stuff like the. Like Renfield himself. So this is another version of the story where Renfield is um, Jonathan's predecessor. He is the one who went to. Transylvania first, and came back mad. I tell you, absolutely mad. And he's been institutionalized for that. Obviously, as we've mentioned before, if you read the book, uh, Renfield is just a you know a very mentally ill man who is taken advantage of by Dracula for his own doing. He isn't made you know mad by Dracula or whatever. But here, it's it's a very kind of like cinematically convenient form of mental illness most of the time tom waits as renfield is actually pretty lucid he's mostly just like acting like english tom waits which obviously that's why you hire (laughs) tom waits but we do get to see that scene with him kind of you know with him warning with him warning mina please be safe please get away from this guy um, and how he's punished for that by basically being kind of rammed across his cell.
0: Again, somebody read the books. Oh yeah, I mean clearly the
1: guy read the books, but it, it's similar to the issue of trauma in the story. You know, it's it's too much for a lot of people to handle, and I understand that. That's but that's the ever going, you know, ever ongoing debate. Of art and adaptation is if you are not right to cover a specific area of the story, do you bypass it altogether and risk being accused of, you know, of being an exclusionary storyteller, or do you give it a go and then have to put up with all of the fallout if or when you do it wrong? I mean, we've seen this recently all the talk around the new Sofia Coppola movie and the way that, you know, there's a, a slave character in the book that is um, not in her version of the mo- of the story. So I think that is just a similar thing that's happened here. You know, there is a way to do, you know, the crazy character on film that is narratively ap- appealing and narratively convenient. But you've also got to deal with what it's actually like to have a mental illness and how it is, it's the mentally ill who are more likely to be bullied and abused and taken advantage of rather than them doing that. And I don't think... I think the film is sympathetic towards Renfield, but I don't think they know how to deal with that. It's just much easier to get a really cool actor to be a bit weird.
0: Yeah, like they touch on his eating of the flies and going through his list when he's... But they just talk it out, how he goes from uh, flies to spiders to little birds to a kitten, to a cat! But this is something that takes a while, and again, is something that gets cut because it's part of the build-up, not part of the major thing. And again, every every character gets spread way too thin. So that even the the originally sympathetic for its time uh, portrayal of Renfield is just some guy who gets taken advantage of by dracula it becomes a look it's tom waits or greg proops (laughs) look at him be crazy how oh we should talk about the maybe the transformation of mina into more traditional damsel in distress as opposed to rather uh cool and logical and almost masculine she was in the book
1: oh yeah they've made her very passive in this i think
0: okay so okay so we did touch upon this very briefly but when we talked about dracula the book in a very very early episode uh, one of the things we talked about was mina being idealized in the sense that she was almost mannish in a lot of ways not that she looked like a man or whatever uh, but that she held several ideals that were perceived to be more positive and associated with um masculinity uh she was she's intelligent she's educated She's very cool and logical. Uh, she can uh, write shorthand. She was very much a counterpart to Lucy's soft, naive femininity. She was the ideal woman because she was almost a man at, uh, Mina wasn't the ideal woman because she was almost a man at times. Whereas, obviously, in this movie, she has been reduced to a uh, very whimpering, female, love interest damsel in distress. Which, and she's removed, while she does get to chop off Dracula's head, it's something that she does out of love in the movie and not any sort of agency to save her own life or soul. Because while it seems kind of pointless, in the book, part of their success was based around Mina's knowledge and memory and able to remember uh, the train schedules. So she was able to come up with the, the best way for them to get to Dracula she she was the she was planning a lot of the stuff while it was the men who went out and fought. She was the one who got them all into that position. basically, she's Charlie, and these are her angels
1: but it's even like some of the decisions they make in the story, obviously just reducing her to being kind of the love interest isn't another way to make lamina decidedly much less interesting um but you know the way that they obviously rob her of the story of being a traumatized woman. And just having her sort of fall at the feet of Dracula so quickly after you know her friend has just died and she realizes this guy killed my friend and then I kind of don't care but I'm gonna be mad about it for like forty minutes forty seconds you know.
0: Now I could forgive it if it was like it's like okay what are my options I'll go along with this until I have an opening. It wasn't even that. Like she 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 went she changed even quicker than Jasmine going the oh. <laughs> You know, and at least Jasmine had a plan, you know.
1: But that's me. she ends up being much less interesting as a result. And I think you could say that for a lot of the women in this story. I think you could say for a lot of the men in this story, too. Because I just don't think Dracula is interesting as a love interest.
0: They can't decide whether to make him straight-up monster, or a tragic, vil- tragic villain, or a love interest. So you end up with these different characters and types stomping all over each other like it's one thing for him to be a tragic villain whose love drove him to denouncing god and drinking blood and everything it's a whole nother to have him rape his true love's best friend and you know it's like they're two different characters
1: and like the way that he treats the punishment of vampirism and you know in comparison with both women he does just straight up say to lucy when it's kind of ready for her to die you know that he sentences her to this and he does the usual hemming and hawing with mina oh i'm i shouldn't no i don't want to trap you in this life okay then you'll you insist Like, it's just, it just makes him a lot less interesting. It makes them a lot less interesting.
0: You know what this film is? This film is a game of telephone. There
1: is a little bit of that, yeah.
0: These characters are not characters as they are adapted straight from the book. They're the characters that we expect them to be, having gone through several generations of other Dracula films, and other films in general. Like We expect the vampire to be this tragic, romantic villain. We expect the woman he's pursuing to be a damsel in distress because that's what her role is supposed to be, right? We expect any woman who's torn between three men to be a slutty slut slut when that's in direct contrast to what the characters were in the books. What character in Frankenstein do people automatically think of when they think of characters in Frankenstein that wasn't actually in the book?
1: Yeah, it's just that—that's the problem. For um, it's—it's—it's almost cultural osmosis, but it's not just the cultural osmosis of the book. It's whatever's going on in our time. We've always said that that's how Dracula works. You know, it's whatever the the unease and concerns of the time are. You'll usually find that expressed in the book somehow, or in the adaptation, I should say. And um, historically, we haven't really got any better with women.
0: Dracula is a mirror
1: yeah which is obviously haha because vampires mirrors but
0: but even just stuff like that you
1: know and it's a shame because that's how the stuff gets perpetuated and I think it just makes for much less interesting storytelling and that's probably one of the reasons I'm really worried that Stephen bloody Moffat's going to be doing this because he has a very handy bag of tricks that he relies on and he always seems to think that he's smarter than the source material he's working with but he never has a way of wrapping it up he loves to build to these big huge dramatic climaxes but he never actually knows how to pay them off so it just makes me shudder i think what the hell is going to go on with dracula like are they going to really emphasize we'll
0: the order of the,
1: the va- dragon stuff and have it be this big vast massive vampire conspiracy how are they going to treat lucy you know how is that relationship between the free men going to work all of these things
0: Yeah, who's going to be his favourite character that gets everything awesome?
1: Probably Van Helsing. Either Dracula or Van Helsing. That's how men usually work.
0: Remember, in the books, Van Helsing was an old doctor who just liked to read a lot and had some ideas. Like, he hadn't actually killed a vampire, had he? Before then. I mean, by the end, he kind of turned into a badass, but that's not what he was like when he first showed up. God, I hope you don't ever think about the whole what happened to Van Helsing's wife thing. I don't want to see Stephen Moffat touch that theory.
1: God, we're we're just going to have so much to talk about, aren't we? (laughs) It's just going to be a constant running thing for us.
0: Why do we have to watch it? (laughs) No, uh, but my prediction would be Lucy will be demonized, turned into a slutty slut-slut, even more so. Uh, Mina will either be mistreated or she'll be turned into the you know the amazing pinnacle of womanhood. One of the two. Or cast aside for some original character. Oh god, I hadn't even thought about that possibility. Think River Song. And the
1: thing is, those stories end up being really interesting as one-offs. But it's about a wider narrative that he has no idea how to deal with. I hear that the current season of Doctor Who has been very good and he's kind of tossed aside a lot of his usual tropes. Which you know, I'm glad for the people that are still watching that, but I got so sick of his bullshit a long time ago. I just can't watch Doctor Who anymore.
0: Yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feel, bro. I guess this what worries me about
1: Dracula is Dracula is a relatively easy story to tell, and yet everyone seems to think they're above telling it.
0: Yeah, that's gonna be the thing, isn't it? Um... Give the story to a woman writer and director, like. There are
1: tons of women who could do an awesome job with this. Hell, Sophia Coppola could probably do a great job with this.
0: Cuz we talk about Dracula being a mirror of the world, but it's also very he's very much a mirror of the person who is adapting him. And what do we what um he, bring, he brings out a lot of what is in the in the author or the director or the actor. And I really do not want to see what is what's what of Stephen Moffat is in this Dracula.
1: I mean, if nothing else, that's going to be revealing. But, you know. I mean, we're going to have to watch it. You understand that.
0: I don't drink, but I think there will need to be alcohol involved. At least <laughs> just, at least to finish... I mean, I still haven't finished the NBC Dracula, Tesla Dracula.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's at least, like, a fun train wreck, for. Aggravating, but fun. And I mean, hey... It
0: has really interesting Renfield.
1: That is true. I mean, it's probably one of the, the best Renfields.
0: I, know, I mean, okay, so he's not the a guy. They've just basically given him a sidekick and then given him the name of Renfield because they believe that he was always Dracula's sidekick. But, hey, intelligent, competent, man of color in a very otherwise white TV show, historically. I give them points for that. I do not want to know what Moffat will do with Rainfield. Well, this is my worry as, as
1: well. Is is Moffat going to update the story to the modern day?
0: Well, he did, That's what he did with Jekyll and Sherlock. So Which, oh I, god, I mean, have you seen Jekyll lately? I have not seen Jekyll at all, unless you count the sequences on that uh, "Why Sherlock Really Sucks" or whatever it was called by H. Bobber guy. <laughs> Video.
1: Which did is an amazing video, video, by the way. Yes. Oh, I, I, I got a cup of tea, I got biscuits, I sat down and made an afternoon of it.
0: It's really, really long, and I mean it's it's kind of full of his usual absurdist comedy, but there's some very good points in there. Fucking boomerang! <laughs> but, yeah. I don't want to know what sort of pretentious... Oh god, it'll be Eddie Redmayne.
1: Oh, well, now you've said it. Thank you. Thanks a lot.
0: Yeah. But then again, he's probably too busy trying to be a movie star. See, so now we're just, like, afraid all the way. Okay, so I think by the the amount of time we've been complaining about Moffat, we've run out of actual Bram Stoker's Dracula content. Yeah. <laughs> uh, based on this adaptation, uh, the book, And all the other Dracula stuff we've watched and discussed, or not discussed, in this podcast, what advice would you give uh, Moffat or anyone else going to adapt Dracula in the future? That you've what? What advice would you give them? Like what things should Um, they really? The book is really good, and you should maybe like focus on the book a little bit. So don't pull a Timmy Spielberg. book is shit i mean yeah but also just basic elements
1: like understand why that book has lasted as long as it has understand why there you know if, if you're going to make a major change like adding a romance you have to understand it's not just a thing that you can plop into an unchanged story you really have to mold everything around it. I mean, if you want to make a romance out of this, go for it, but you have to deal with the fact that this is a book about trauma and abuse and assault, and you are removing that, and what, co- at what cost are you removing that with?
0: Like, there's a lot in the book that people don't know exist, because people don't adapt it. There's so much you can mime and use as something interesting, in. You guys don't. Give me supportive male friendships and emotions as shown by the three guys. Give me strong friendship between two women who are different but still have things in common and still just get on. There's no jealousy, no meanness. You don't have to villainize one of them. Recognize that so many vampire attacks are straight up rape. Also, PTSD is a thing. Remember when your characters have it. I mean, I, 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 can't,
1: I can't say that I don't recommend the film. I do, because it is visually sumptuous. I mean, if you want to watch it just with the volume off, <laughs> you could probably get a really good sense of the story as a, as a tone poem. I mean, the costumes, the cinematography, the in-camera special effects, which are just like... The, the, the things that they did are just bonkers. The music is gorgeous. There are some really good performances. I mean everything anthony hopkins is doing is clearly a man who is enjoying himself so i mean it's definitely worth seeing just if if only because one it looks great two there's a lot to recommend and three this is probably as influential to modern day filmmakers taking on the story as the book or even the todd browning movie
0: yep you'll watch this movie and go oh that's where it's from see uh, Mr. Burns with
1: the boob haircut. Yeah, if you want to get all the Simpsons jokes, go for it. You know, super fun happy slate. That's not in this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know I shouldn't, but when will I be here again? Um. But also, watch it and see what things it itself has been influenced by. Come on, look at that. There's an obvious shadow reference to Nosferatu.
1: Oh yeah, I mean... Feel, just feel the melodrama this thing is steeped in. Because we really don't get films like this anymore. I mean, look at the way that Dracula is now being adapted. You know, or the way that they've been trying to force it into this, like, Avenger style universe where he's, like, Iron Man.
0: Now I want to see Dracula as played by Robert Downey Jr. I, t- I mean, I would just love to see...
1: A silent version of Dracula. There already is one. It's a ballet version. It's Guy Madden's Dracula, Pages from a Virgin's Diary, which I haven't seen. I want to see that. Uh, a friend has recommended it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, but a friend of ours has recommended it. What's... A couple friend of mine have recommended it too. But, um, like, I would love to see a silent version of this because I did see a silent version of this at The Fringe last year, which was done as, like, a, a dance movement piece. I think it would be interesting to really focus on that. And there's plenty of filmmakers I would love to see do it. Uh,
0: Stephen Moffat's not one of them. I don't want to see Stephen Moffat do anything. True. So that's us for
1: this month. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, join us next month and we're going to watch another film. We're going to watch The Lost Boys. The film is pretty readily available to watch um, on, on lot of streaming platforms or you can just pick it up pretty cheap. My mother's a big fan so we have it on DVD.
0: If you want to get in touch with us, there's our website, bloodsuckingfeminist.com. You can email us at fangmail at bloodsuckingfeminist.com. That's fangmail with a G because we're terrible and puns are life. So is the blood to go back to Dracula. Uh, We're also on Twitter, bloodsuckingfem. We've got a Facebook page. And if you Google, you'll find us complaining about Stephen Moffat somewhere. Until next time, screw you, Stephen Moffat. (laughs) 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 Just end it, just end it, just end it